You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode of the Yankees Magazine podcast is brought to you by the MLB app. Yankees baseball is always live with the MLB app. Follow the action with game tracking and video highlights, along with up-to-the-moment stats, standings, breaking news, and more. Download the MLB app today. It's your number one app for Yankees baseball. Hello, hello, and welcome to another episode of the Yankees Magazine podcast. We are coming right down to the end of the 2020 baseball season. It it feels like it just began, guys, but I think that's because it just began. I am John Schwartz. I am the deputy editor of Yankees Magazine. Joining me right now, we have our editor-in-chief, Al Santasiri. Hello. Hello, Al. And of course, we have our executive editor, Nathan Makaborski. Hello, everybody. In a little bit, we're going to have MLB.com's Brian Hoke on to talk about the upcoming postseason. I hope you all had a wonderful Rosh Hashanah and that we're getting ready for the first Yankees Magazine podcast of 5781. I know it's going to be a tremendous year for uh, Yankees content. So uh, here's here's to a sweet new year of Yankees podcasts. Sounds great. Definitely. For sure. For sure. I don't even think we need to play around too much with uh, clever segues or anything like that because... I think that anytime you have a chance to just talk about DJ LeMayhew, it behooves you to just start talking about DJ LeMayhew because the more time you get to do it, the more enjoyment you get. We are right on the heels of DJ LeMayhew having been named the American League Player of the Week for this previous week. And in our September issue, we have a cover story on DJ LeMayhew himself, which was written by Nathan Makaborski. Nate, we've all tried it at some point. We've all kind of had that opportunity to write the feature about DJ LeMayhew. It doesn't always go so easy. It doesn't always go exactly the way you expect it to. But what was your experience this time? Yeah, I mean, he's kind of a, a fascinating dude. You know, he's he's so quiet and just goes about his work that he's there's a little uh, element of mystery to him. So last year in 2019, we all got a chance to watch DJ play every day. And uh, this story is one that I've I've wanted to write and and am happy to have finally uh, been able to publish since that time. I think our our first postseason editorial meeting was probably nearly a year ago, probably like last November. And, uh, you know, we're going around the table in in the conference room there at Yankee Stadium talking about what stories would be like to do. And uh, he was at the very top of my list. There was so much I didn't know about him myself that I wanted to find out. And uh, I just know from Talking to Yankees fans, everybody who watches this team just loves this guy and loves the way he goes about his business. So I wanted to hopefully (laughs) come up with a a way to talk to him, which uh, (laughs) I I proposed a few different ideas (laughs) over the over the winter. um, And we ended up settling on just a, a really good, long dugout interview down at GMS Field back in February before everything was shut down. And it was great. He was awesome. I learned a lot about him from that conversation, learned a lot about him just through some of the other people that I spoke to for this story. So I'm hopeful and I'm confident that uh, Yankees fans who read this piece uh, will come away, you know, knowing a little bit more about DJ LeMahieu. You know, Nate, one of the things that's interesting to me about the story, and and I hope you can kind of talk about this a little bit today is, 
you know, not only did you talk to the subject himself, but you really kind of delved into his his life and, and spoke to some people from not just now, but the past. I mean, talk about what, what your impressions of coming out of those conversations were. Yeah, you know, my, my biggest takeaway was just what a, a loyal person DJ LeMahieu is. You know, he's really like true to his roots. He moved around a bit as a kid. Um, I kind of get, get into detail as to why in the story. It had more to do with his mother's uh, career. But he moved to Michigan for high school. And those guys, his high school teammates, are still his closest friends. And so, you know, while it can be tough to get <laughs> DJ himself to open up, uh, you know, talking to some of these guys, uh, they just were so thrilled to, to have the opportunity to talk about him and, and just gushed about, you know, what a good friend he is, what a, you know, a real dude. Like this, the name of the story is Real One because, you know, there's nothing fake about DJ. There's nothing premeditated. He doesn't think, you know, oh, this is the type of ball player I want to be or this is the type of persona I want to project. No, it's none of that. He is who he is and what's not to love about that. So one of his friends from high school guy by the name of Brad Galley is a sportscaster out in Detroit. So he was kind of easy to track down. I just spoke to him and he was terrific. And he was telling me about uh, another friend of theirs, Pat Ebbing, um, who's like DJ's like best friend. Like he was the best man at DJ's wedding. Brad gave me Pat's phone number and Pat just went on and on and on about all the great things about DJ and how great he is with Pat's five-year-old daughter and then, you know, we got off the phone and I was like, man, that was great. That was really like awesome stuff. He calls me back like five minutes later. He's like, I just thought of three other things I have to tell you about DJ. <laughs> <laughs> so his friends were really happy to, to share uh, these stories with us. But, but the interesting thing that I find in my own experiences with DJ, which I'll get into in a little bit, is he gives you so little that anything he does give you, I feel like your brain just immediately like, you know, starts like flaring and sparking and things like that. And so I remember when I was talking to him in Cleveland last year about the All-Star game, you know, I've, I've spoken about this in the past in this podcast. I think I kind of combined like four or five interviews that I was able to do out there and in New York into that one feature. It's the little things he mentions that kind of are throwaway lines, but that you understand who he is. Like the fact that every single all-star game he's been to, he talks about, you know, oh, I go with the same crew of my friends. Mm -hmm. And that kind of leads your brain to think like, well, you know, I want to know more about these friends then. And he's not going to tell me more about these friends. You know, I, I need to go figure this out. Or, and, and this is stuff, obviously there's, there's so many examples of this that I had hoped to kind of find time to do this year if there had been more baseball season and more access. You know, you spend a little bit of time in the off season, and you see that he's going to like all these hockey games. And Nate, you mentioned this in the story that he's as devoted to the Red Wings and things like that as he is, you know, to his baseball stuff. And sure enough, there were pictures that he posted of going to Yost Ice Arena, which is the hockey arena at the University of Michigan where I, I went to college. And Yost is like the greatest place in the universe. It's this tiny little barn that gets louder than the hundred ten thousand person Michigan Stadium. It's the best place to game. And so during spring training. I had this opportunity to chat with him about that. And it wasn't with a microphone on. It wasn't with anything. It was just one of those things where it's so hard to find for him to tell you what's important to him that anytime you get a little nugget like that, it just helps that much more in terms of understanding who he is and understanding what kind of person you're actually trying to write about. But the reason I bring it up, Nate, is because there's just so much in there that 
you talk about the person that DJ is, but one thing that's so clear is that the person that DJ is is extremely, extremely relevant to the player that DJ is. Really couldn't have gone any better for us in terms of, you know, uh, a guy on our cover having just another solid uh, season and a solid month while he's on the cover. We'd love to see it. Uh, like you said, player of the week this week. He just, uh, he, he doesn't take a night off ever. He's a, just an incredible baseball player. It's really strange too, because it's difficult because I, and maybe, you know, this is me being oversensitive and you guys can laugh about this or listeners can laugh or yell about this if they want to. I think there's always a little bit of a concern with me that, you know, and I'm just going to put this as bluntly as I can. When you have a guy who looks like DJ LeMayhew, sometimes you can talk a little bit more about the intangibles and the things like that he brings than you might with a guy who looks like Giancarlo Stanton. And that's a very unfortunate thing in sports fandom and certainly sports journalism that I know that I'm always trying very, very hard to avoid doing. And I think for a little while that might have... As, as it was starting last year and as you were watching it last year, it might have caused me to kind of take a little bit of what I was seeing from LeMahieu with a grain of salt, not because of anything he was doing, but just because you're always trying to avoid, just for lack of a better term, the David Eckstein you know, syndrome, where suddenly you start elevating mediocre players because they do the things that the coaches that we had growing up tell us are the most important things. Meanwhile, you have guys next to them smashing the ball over the wall, which is actually the reason the team is winning. I think it took me a little bit of time last year to understand just how much LeMahieu was doing, that it wasn't simply a grit or a hustle or a high OBP and batting average. It was just this ability to always go into every single at bat like it was just this battle of wills and try to figure out how he was going to win every pitch of that at bat. And that was going to mean he wasn't going to strike out. That was going to mean he was going to move runners along and all these things. But he was going to do it while also just being incredibly productive, hitting a lot of home runs, having that 360 batting average and all those things. And I think that Again, all of this kind of, I keep kind of going back to this thing, all of this kind of plays into his hand a little bit. You know, he doesn't want to be the person who has the big scrum of media around him after every game. So he's perfectly content for people to just kind of go talk to the big bashers over there. But man, again, it's just this year again, it's like there's just not a single thing on the field that you need right now, both in terms of offensive productivity and certainly defensive versatility <laughs> that LeBehu isn't able to give you right now. Yeah, I, you know, John, I think when, when you look at him, yeah, there are intangibles. And you're right, with, a, with an, a David Eckstein type of player, yeah, sometimes those things are exaggerated. And, you know, there's value to, to being, a, you know, to, to, to hustling all the time, being a great teammate, all things that DJ LeMahieu is. But just the parade of consistent hits, even if he was not a good fielder, which, of course, he is a gold glove fielder, but just the consistency now in two seasons – of hitting. I mean, it seems like you kind of look up over a period of time, whether it's a month, a couple of weeks, it seems like there's long stretches where he's getting two or three hits every game. And obviously he's not batting, you know, 700 on the season, but the consistency is remarkable. In, in fact, for me, watching him over two years, he's, he's as consistent as any hitter I've ever seen, you know, at least in the time I've been with the Yankees, which spans a lot longer than two years. You know, that's what you know, what wins you games? All he's done has been a consistently great player, probably the most valuable player. Maybe you can make an argument for, for, for Luke Voigt this year, but over a two-year period, probably the most valuable player on the team. And I think it, it's not just what he's done on the field, it's, it's how he does it that I think has really endeared him to Yankees fans. You know, 
Anytime I run into a, a Yankees fan over the last like few months, the, the first thing they say when we start talking baseball is like, are the Yanks going to re-sign LeMahieu? The Yanks got to lock up, got to lock up LeMahieu. I'm like, I, I, I have nothing to do with those decisions. So I, I don't know what to tell you, but uh, I understand why everybody wants him to stay in pinstripes because we spent some time during that interview down in Tampa in February talking about the home run he hit against Osuna. Uh, in game six of the ALCS last year. It was, you know, a game-tying home run in the ninth inning, the result of a, I think it was a 10-pitch at bat that took about five and a half minutes. And the biggest hit of his career, and yet when he was going around the bases, he just put his head down, he gave like one single clap, you know, didn't even crack a smile. And uh, Yankee fans love that, you know? It's like you see a guy who's capable of these things, no showboating or anything like that. And uh, a lot of people are, are really into the way he goes about his business on the field. That business on the field, I'm actually curious if you guys, how you guys are going to do. As I said at the, at the opening of this, he's the reigning AL player of the week. Just give me, a, I want you both to uh, give me your guess of his slash line for last week and, you know, some, give me some home runs and RBI, things like that, doubles. What do you, what do you think DJ did last week to earn that? Nate, you go first. <laughs> well, I did read the uh, the press cool. release. Cool, Al, I... you go first. <laughs> uh, you're putting me on the spot here. Batting average, 450. Okay. Give me an OBP. 600. Okay. Give me home runs. Four. Doubles. Six. RBI. 12. Hits. Um, 20. All right. 20 would be crazy. Um, <laughs> well, but you know what? I mean, no, how many look, games other, were there? Other, seven games? Otherwise you, did very, <laughs> otherwise, you did very well. When you weren't saying anything to all these gaudy stats, I figured I would just go with it and just keep getting you know more gaudy. So it's, maybe, it's, I, it's maybe pretty, I overdid the, it. The job he did is pretty good. So he had, he had a slash line of 423, 516, 1038. He had four doubles. He had four home runs. He had 10 RBI and 11 hits. And the fact of the matter is, I am not trying to play media critic when I say some of this stuff. If you paid attention to the Yankees last week, which we certainly do, the storylines of the Yankees last week were the return of Aaron Judge and Giancarlo Stanton and Gio Rochella. It was Luke Voigt leading the league in home runs and all these things. It was good starts by Garrett Cole, good starts by Davey Garcia, certainly uh, Massa and and Jay Happ. I mean, all, all these things are true. And I'm not pretending right now that no one talked about the week that DJ LeMayu had. I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not suggesting that. I will say that as someone who I think watched every single game last week, I was shocked when I got that press release that it was DJ LeMayu who was the player of the week. Well, yeah, because we've, we've gotten used to seeing Right, you know, but you look at those stats. Sports. You look at those stats, and of course he was the player of the week. Look at those stats. Those are amazing stats, and they were yeah, in big moments. But if you asked me, oh, of course Luke Voigt had you know a week – for the ages and, and all these things. And it's just, that is the level of performance that just, I, I think we've gotten reason at this point to expect on a week that it does not shock you. And I think what it is, is it, it, it's actually pretty fair microcosm of his whole time with the Yankee. If you look at, you know, if you count headlines, you're going to find Aaron judge and, and Giancarlo Stanton and Garrett Cole now on a heck of a lot more headlines than DJ LeMahieu. Well, 
Uh, I'm glad we're doing our part to to give the guy some well-deserved publicity by putting him on the cover of this month's Yankees magazine. I agree with you. And Nate, I, I do have one more question for you, just because, like I said at the start of this, we all do have our experience kind of struggling through or, you know, wading into choppy waters of the interview process with Dietrich LeMahieu. I know for myself that I have to unlearn everything I know about how I interview people whenever I approach DJ. I know it's not going to go the way it usually does. I know that there's a lot of players who right away, for example, you can tell if they're giving you one word answers or they're reticent. I'll just try to end it as quickly as possible. Obviously, we're not going to get anything. Whereas DJ, I know that that's a best case scenario, basically. So I'm going to push through. You, as you mentioned, had a very long interview with him in spring training. Did you approach it differently than you might with any of the other players, hundreds of players you've interviewed over the course of your career here? I don't think so. You know, I, I always tell aspiring sports writers and aspiring journalists that the best thing you could do is prepare. And, you know, by that, I mean, you know, go into an interview having done like hours and hours and hours of research and hone your questions so that you're not wasting time asking questions that you might have already answered a dozen times elsewhere or learn all that you can learn and then ask about the things you don't know or that or the things that you want to know more about. And so that was how I approached that that interview. And it went really well. You know, one of the, I think, kind of more interesting parts was, you know, the fact, like I said, we were at GMS Field. And uh, I had known that he had played in the Florida State League with the Cubs when he first came up. He was drafted in 2009. And in 2010, he played for the Daytona Cubs. I didn't really know a whole lot else about that time in his career. And so I asked him about it. And uh, he really struggled at the beginning of that year. And he remembered his exact batting average, 220. And, you know, it's still, he looks back on that time as, you know, kind of a pivotal moment for him where he really had to like dig deep and and discover something about himself. But he was able to do that. And uh, he was able to, you know, tell some pretty interesting stories about it. So, yeah, I, I went into it as, as best prepared as I could be. And uh, usually when you do that, it goes pretty well. Hang on one second. I'm just, I'm just trying to write all this down. So I remember. Thanks a lot. I appreciate you. <laughs> <laughs> so you didn't ask him how many home runs he hit last year. <laughs> no. uh, wait, am I not supposed right. to do that? Am I, I'm kind of, I've been doing this wrong all along. <laughs> no, but I definitely was cognizant of the fact that like we had a limited amount of time and I wanted to make the very most of it. So I think we spoke for, close to half an hour and it was uh there was not a wasted moment during that half hour i will tell you this dj lemay has never had a 30 minute conversation in his life <laughs> he had no <laughs> idea what to do with himself when that was over <laughs> well he gave me a lot of great stuff so i am uh i'm i'm hopeful that our readers will agree that uh it's pretty interesting stuff i, I we hit on a lot of different points and uh you know, like I said, I think it'll give give our fans a better understanding of, of where he is and where he comes from and, and kind of why he is the type of player that he is. Well, everyone, by all means, check out the story Real One. You can find it on Yankees.com slash magazine or in the September issue of Yankees Magazine, which you can find by calling 800-GO-YANKS or by going to Yankees.com slash publications. Guys, it's like our September issue is our May issue. You know, this time next week, we're going to be at the end of... <laughs> the first, hopefully the first for the Yankees round of the playoffs, you know, hopefully not the only round of the playoffs. I think we knew going into this how bizarre it was going to be 
but man, like just every, every step along the way, it's it's just been so insane, and and it's going to culminate with uh, what I would call a borderline unfair three game series to you know get get the playoff start. I, I don't know, but 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 I think if you talk about all the just strangeness of this year and the things that we're always going to remember from this year. You know, I'm glad we got to speak about DJ. I'm glad we got to put DJ on our September cover. I think we should speak for a moment, though, about the Major League home run leader, Luke Voigt, because you can't see this because this is an audio medium, but I am raising my hand high into the sky to answer the question of who was wrong about Luke Voigt. I think I might have been the wrongest about Luke Voigt. I'm curious how you guys are reconciling what you're seeing from Luke Voigt on a daily basis right now. Yeah, I mean, I guess maybe I'm a little less surprised than you guys. I just, I remember how dominant he was at the beginning of 2019. I mean, I thought he should have been an all-star. And then, of course, you know, injuries kind of wrecked the second half of his year. But uh, when he came back for summer camp this year, he looked phenomenal. I was like, this guy's going to do something special. I didn't necessarily think he was going to be leading the majors and homers, but good for him. I, I can't wait for the, the year when... You know, we get to play 162, and he's out there for 155 of them because I think he could be an MVP someday. You know, Nate, I think I think you're making very fair points there, and and I don't disagree with them by any means. What I will say is, I think that a big part of the job that we do, and if you're doing it well, it's to confront your biases. And I think Luke Voigt is is just a very good opportunity, certainly like as an educational thing for me to look at. I had spent a lot of time up to that point working with Greg Bird. I had written a lot about him. I had traveled with him. I had spoken to him very candidly. Um, he had been very vulnerable to me about his emotional struggles uh, when he was going through all those injuries and everything like that. And I think in my head, there was just this underlying sense that when he gets it together, he is the Yankees' best option at first base. And I think it was obvious in my head. And I think that that definitely blinded me a little bit to what Luke Voigt was doing in that first half of 2019 because I just had this assumption that Greg Bird was going to come back and he would be the player that I always and certainly I wasn't alone in expecting for a long time Greg Bird to be the next great Yankee but I was with you yeah I have no doubt that that colored my opinion of Luke Voigt at the beginning and I will say not that this is the John Schwartz therapy session (laughs) it's good when things like this happen It, it forces you to evaluate how you are approaching these guys and how you were covering these guys. And I hope that next time in a situation like this, I, I, I'll be better at recognizing what was blinding me a little bit to the fact that Luke Voigt was obviously the better option at first base for the Yankees far earlier than I gave him that credit. John, I would just say there's a reason that we're in the publications department and not the scouting department. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's for sure. Well put, well put. But it's fun. Look, hey, you know what that means? That means that I get to every night still be surprised when I turn it on and there's another just monster shot by Luke Voigt. Yeah, it's been great. He's been, he's been awesome. So much fun. You know, we got everybody back to health and you look at that lineup, one through nine, a scary thing for a an inexperienced opposing pitcher. They're feasting on some of these guys and uh, hopefully that continues on into October. Well, hopefully it does. And I, I think with that... Why don't we uh, take a quick break here, and then we're going to bring in MLB.com's Brian Hoke to talk a little bit about October. Obviously, this is going to be a postseason like nothing we've ever fully seen, both in terms of the added series and also the neutral sites and the fact that none of us will actually be seeing it in person. But 
we'll take that break. Stick with us. This is going to be an interesting conversation where I hope we're going to learn a lot about what these next few weeks will hold. Nate and Al, thank you so much. Uh, I'll speak to you guys soon. Thank you. Thank you, John. Hi, this is Aaron Boone. You're listening to the Yankees Magazine Podcast. Deep to left. Yastrzemski will not get his home run. A three-run home run for Bucky Jim. The Yankees now lead it by a score of 3-2. to two. Hey, folks, it's Bucky Dent. I'm proud to be part of a new podcast on Yankees Magazine Podcast Network called Deep to Left with Bucky Dent. Every other Tuesday, we'll bring you a new episode chatting about great moments from Yankee history with some of my best friends from a career in the game. We'll look at what's happening with the current team, share some memories, and no surprise, we'll even discuss a little homer I hit one credible day in Fenway Park. Download Deep to Left with Bucky Dent at yankees.com slash podcast or at the podcast app of your choice. Can't wait to speak with you soon. This episode is also brought to you by MLB.tv. Watch every out-of-market regular season game live or on demand with MLB.tv. Your subscription also includes the MLB app Premium, allowing you to stream live baseball with your favorite supported devices. Blackout and other restrictions apply. Visit MLB.tv for details. Welcome back to the Yankees Magazine Podcast. As promised, I am here right now with MLB.com's Brian Hoke. Brian, there's really not usually anyone who knows much more about what's going on with the Yankees than you do. But in this year, when it's so hard to figure out anything other than what's available on our TV, it's great to have you here to give us a little sense of what's happened and certainly what we can expect as we turn toward the postseason. So how are you doing? I'm doing okay. Yeah, hanging in there. It's definitely been a uh, different season than I think any one of us would have anticipated, but I think we're getting the hang of Zoom a little bit. Um, It's not the same as going into the clubhouse and getting a chance to talk to the guys, but we are getting to talk to them every day and uh, to Aaron Boone. And so I think we've done as good as can be expected, given the circumstances of uh, kind of painting a picture of Yankee baseball in 2020. It's so hard to explain why this is so hard from a reporting perspective because first off no one cares but also especially no one wants to hear anyone complain but I mean (laughs) you you know what you're used to what do you think has been if you could look at it like the way that you've adapted the most to this very bizarre way of covering a team that's so different from any way you've done it over your career I'm not sure if I have adapted, to be honest with you. Um, I think we're just kind of powering through one day at a time here, but I wouldn't say I'm great at doing it through Zoom. I think that um, I, I just everything is kind of a press conference and there's no one-on-ones, which makes it hard to get a lot of the fun little nuggets because I, I, I would anticipate that when you're sitting at a table with a microphone in front of you, you're not as comfortable and relaxed as you would be just kind of hanging out at your locker or, you know, getting ready for the game or making chit chat. There's no chit chat on a zoom call. Like you, you ask your question, you're in, you're out. It's kind of like a surgical strike in a lot of ways. And that, that is a way to do it. You know, that's the way we cover the postseason when, you know, John, when we're at Yankee stadium in, in the before times and everything is done in that kind of formal setting, but 
I think you lose a little of the fun of it when it's when everything is formal. And, um, you know, I look forward to a day when we can just go into the clubhouse and have informal chats with guys and say, hey, I noticed this weird thing from last night. Can you tell me about that? Look forward to getting back to that. Fingers crossed. I'll tell you one thing that I've noticed that you're actually way better at than I am is follow-up questions because (laughs) I find as I'm doing these interviews, I'm trying to quickly type the answers. And when I'm typing really fast, I'm a super loud typer. And so what I always do is I get really self-conscious. So I'll ask a question and then I'll mute myself right away so I can type their answer. But once you've muted yourself, you can't unmute yourself. That's (laughs) right. I need to stop doing that and just listen. When you hit that mute button, you're done. So uh, that's why I keep the line open. I'll I'll save the typing for later. No, that's a, I, I got to get better at doing that. This is a very limited audience that cares about how we do our job. I think what people really do care about is how the Yankees do their job. And as we record this, in the last couple uh, days, hours, what have you, of a very irregular, regular season, you know, I'm curious what, what has stuck out to you with the exception of you're not allowed to say Luke Voigt. <laughs> so funny when DJ uh, won the AL player of the week, he just said, yeah, uh, okay. Like he, I didn't even think he had really all that special of a week. And then you go and look at the numbers and he was phenomenal. And so I, I think that just the way that DJ goes about his business every single day, he's such a joy to watch. He's so consistent. And it's so funny. Like we had him on the call to talk about, being AL player of the week. And his reaction was very much the same, just kind of like this, oh, you know, whatever. That's that's what I'm here to do. And he's a man of few words, as you know. And, yeah, he's talked a little bit about chasing the batting title and how he's in the mix for that. And he said that I just look at it as a distraction. It's one more thing to keep track of. And it, it just to have that kind of focus where – I really feel like DJ could just roll out of bed on Christmas Day and go get three hits. He, he's that kind of guy. He, he's so locked in all the time. There's really no off switch. And I guess that's why Gary Sanchez calls him the machine. It's so funny to hear him say, though, that, that comment about one more thing to get distracted by or whatever. Because if there's one thing I think I know about DJ LeMahieu, and it's not that easy to know many things about DJ LeMahieu, it's that I don't see him getting distracted by anything. So, I mean, and again, it is because he is the machine. So you mentioned something that we actually spoke about in the last segment. I think if you go back to last week, the storylines of that week were Luke Voigt and Aaron Judge and Giancarlo Stanton coming back and Kyle Higashioka hitting three home runs and Mm -hmm. Garrett Cole being really good. And that's just the way LeMahieu works is that at the end of the week, you go and look at it and you're like, oh, yeah, he hit four something and he hit four home runs and he was on base more than half the time. And sure, that's DJ LeMahieu for you. Yeah, you almost take it for granted. And um, I, I think that's the mark of a great player. Uh, that's certainly why I think the Yankees are going to make every effort to, to keep him around because they, he just can't go and find a guy like that. What a steal he has been. Two years, $24 million. I think you got to put that as one of Brian Cashman's best moves. For sure. Obviously, another huge move that Cashman made this past offseason was Garrett Cole. I think that if you ask Yankees fans, and certainly Yankees players, Garrett Cole has been amazing. I think if you ask Garrett Cole, he feels like he's kind of still warming up. When you look at this pitching staff, obviously, as we move this conversation a little bit to the postseason here, it's going to be so much harder than usual for a manager to handle the postseason because of the lack of off days this year. What do you, how do you see the Yankees pitching staff shaping up as the playoff games begin? Well, yeah, and you, you said it right there, is that you're going to need everybody. You're going to have to rely on guys, whereas 
you know, in 2009, for example, they only had CC Sabathia, AJ Burnett, and Andy Pettit, and they were able to get through the entire postseason with three starting pitchers. You're not going to be able to do that here this year because of the lack of off days, like you mentioned. So obviously, a lot of the weight is going to go on Garrett Cole and Masahiro Tanaka, and Aaron Boone has already lined up those two as the uh, the headliner, so to speak, in the wildcard series. And after that, I think you have a, a pretty significant discussion if you want to flip a coin between Jay Happ and Davey Garcia for game three. But either way, Happ and Garcia are going to have to get starts here. And, and then Jordan Montgomery's in the mix, too. And, you know, Montgomery looked so great in spring training one and then summer camp, too. And the regular season has been kind of up and down. But I think that it's in there. I, I, I think I saw enough during summer camp to think that he can go have a big postseason outing for this Yankee team. So I wouldn't shy away from that either. But clearly, you gave Garrett Cole $324 million because you expect him to pitch you to a World Series championship. And they spent a ton of money on Tanaka back in the day, too. It's hard to believe it's been seven years for Tanaka now with the Yankees. But if those are your one-two going in, look, you'd like to have James Paxton and Luis Severino back, but that's not really in the cards right now. So... Um, you know, Cole Tanaka, and then you, you figure it out from there. But I, I would expect, especially in Cole's case, I think you could see him going on short rest, and I'm interested to see how aggressive Boone will be with that. So this here, here's a great example of research that I obviously could have done before we started this, but I'll ask you the question anyhow and hope you make me look good. Is it a 26-man roster for the playoffs, or have they expanded it because of the lack of off days? It's 28. So they'll stay for 28. So they, they okay. actually do have a couple extra pitching spots to go with here. And so if you want to carry a guy like a Clark Schmidt, uh, I, I would expect that, or a Michael King. Like, they're going to have guys, Jonathan Luizaga, in that bullpen who can give them length. I'm sure of that, uh, no matter how they want to cut it up and slice it and dice it. But, um, look, it, it's October, it's, it's crunch time, and you want your best guys on the mound for as long as you can. And so, to me, that's Cole and Tanaka, and then figure out the rest from there. I think a guy who you didn't mention who I'm expecting to play a big role this October is actually also Luis Sessa. He was really good last postseason. He's a guy who never fully gets the credit I think he deserves. He he can be inconsistent, but I think guys like that, because you can't just go in the third inning and bring in Chad Green this year. You can't, or maybe you can, but then you can't do it the next day, that's for sure. I think a guy like Luis Sessa, who you know you can get two innings from to kind of bridge something for you, a guy like, as you mentioned, Luizaga, those guys are going to just play huge, huge roles this year because, yeah, you, you hope that your starter can get you seven innings, but as we've seen, the rule of the postseason is these managers are kind of accustomed to acting at the first moment of trouble. And it's just, it's not going to be that simple this year. Well, and that's one thing that the Yankees think is one of their strengths. I mean, they, you go back to last year and they really believe they were built on their lineup and their bullpen. And they, they were a little soft on the starting pitching part. And that's why you go and spend that money on Garrett Cole. Cause you have a need there, but they still believe in that bullpen. I mean, starting with Chapman in the ninth and, uh, you could even probably go four or five outs with Chapman if you had to, but you've got Zach Britton behind him, and Adam Ottavino and Chad Green have looked pretty good at times. I, I think they've got enough arms to do it, and if they can hit the way they did against Toronto's pitching staff uh, last week at the stadium, then it's not really going to matter a whole lot. Well, as, as we set this up right now, things can still change between now and when the regular season ends on Sunday, but it looks like the Yankees are probably going to be playing the Twins and if the season ended as we're recording this, it would be in Minnesota. If something changes, it could be in Yankee Stadium. <laughs> it's funny because 
there's so many different ways to look at it. On the one hand, you could say, man, the Yankees always beat up against the Twins. And the other hand, you could say, not only does that not carry over from season to season, but also because of the way the season was built, the Yankees haven't played the Twins at all this year. So it's going to be a, a real mystery in terms of your opponent. And obviously, there's just the pure randomness of a best of three series. And I think that this is a very macro question. So I don't know how, how you want to approach it necessarily. But I firmly, firmly believe in the team's and the people who are saying that this is a harder championship to win than most years, and anyone who wants to put an asterisk or anything silly like that on the 2020 World Series championship is kidding themselves. On the flip side of that, do you also then have to accept that any team that kind of just falls victim to the randomness of the 2020 postseason kind of just has to shrug their shoulders and say, 2020, man? I guess. Uh, you know, I've heard Brian Cashman say that a few times, uh, you know, words to that effect. He's certainly not alone in thinking that uh, this is going to be one of the most difficult World Series titles to, to come away with. And um, I think that when you, you come into the end of this, one of these teams is going to be the champion. You have a, a field of 16 coming into the postseason. It's like nothing we've ever seen before. And to be the last team standing at the end of that, I, I do think it's worth celebrating and worthy of celebration and you don't need to put an asterisk next to anything there's not going to be an asterisk in the record book like there will be a 2020 world series champion and we're all just going to understand that oh that was the coronavirus year and you know i pray that there's not a 2021 coronavirus year too um but i think that we're all just going to look at that and realize that that was that weird regular season where opening day was july 23rd instead of april 1st or whatever it was and they only played 60 games, and some teams probably played less than 60. And um, then it was a, a crazy postseason with no fans in the stands. And so um, yeah, we're all just – we're watching history in the making here, and somebody's going to be at the end of this gauntlet. And um, as they enter their postseason bubbles here and are away from their wives and families and uh, friends for months on end, I mean, it could be literally six weeks for um, the Yankees if they go all the way. Uh, I, I think when you factor in all of that, if you're the team that comes away at the end of this, you should be proud of it. It is an achievement. And, you know, I, I agree with Cashman. I think there are more wrinkles and kind of roadblocks here than even last year or the year before where it was 162. And then you got to just win a best of seven World Series. You got to get through there and, and get to it. But there's so many different speed bumps here that I think whoever wins this is really going to have earned it. So here's a fun little exercise I did this morning. And again, I should point out, we're recording this on Tuesday. The Yankees have played 51 games, or sorry, they've played 54 games, and they're 31 and 23. So if you take the entire season and break it down to what is 51 three-game series at this point, the Yankees' record in those three-game series is 29 and 22. Now, the Yankees, I think we can all agree, have had a weird season. They've had some long losing streaks, and they've had some long winning streaks, and there have been not that many times where you had, like, win-lose, 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 but there's so much randomness there. I mean, 29 and 22, forget about the Yankees. I mean, that's going to come for the Dodgers, too. That's going to come for the A's, too. That's going to come for the Bray. I mean, I get it, and I understand all the reasons for it, and I think that they're right to do it the way they're doing it this year. It's just very hard to reconcile how much of just a random set of three games we're about to start next week. 
you know, as you were reading those numbers, I'm think I'm doing the math in my head, and I'm just thinking how streaky this Yankee team has been, and I'm I'm doing the numbers off the top of my head. So correct me if I'm wrong, but I, they they started out 16 and six, then they went five and 15, then they won 10 in a row, and then that brings us to basically where we are now. And um, they're they've just been such a streaky team, and. You know, as you're reading those numbers, I was thinking back to something Derek Jeter always used to say. He would say the playoffs are a crapshoot, man. Um, you know, the best team over 162 wins, but it's the hottest team that comes away in October. And certainly Derek was on the right side of that enough, and he was on the wrong side of it a few times, too, where um, he had teams that got bounced earlier than they probably should have been. And so I think that's, you know, to the max, to the extreme, you're going to see that here where a hot team may upset somebody. And, um, you know, to answer your question from earlier, then what? Then you just go home and say, yeah, 2020, man. And you, you just kind of roll with it. There, there's nothing else you can do. And that's the thing. I mean, the Yankees are, to, to go back to Jeter's term, I guess the Yankees are incredibly hot right now in their last 10 games as we record this. They're 8-2. and two. Unfortunately, if those last two games had been the three-game series, they'd be going home right now because right. they're 0-2 in their last two games. And it's just... I, 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 I'm not looking for anyone to make excuses for the Yankees. I'm not looking to apologize for the Yankees. But please, I, I just hope everyone spares us, however the season ends. Maybe it ends wonderfully. But if it doesn't, just I hope everyone spares us the, you know, sky is falling. These guys didn't come through an account and everything like that. I mean, this is just so weird and bizarre and unpredictable. And I think at some point you just got to be like, okay, you know, let's go have fun and have a little tournament and we'll see who wins at the end of this. I'll tell you what the good news is. The Yankees will not have to play any of their postseason games at Salem Field in Buffalo. So I think they're pretty much done with that place. (laughs) When they leave that place for the last time, they will not miss it. My friend and a loyal Yankees Magazine podcast listener, Chris Tracy, calls it Coors Field with higher cholesterol. I think that... uh, (laughs) (laughs) I kind of like that. I think we're all going to wish a fond farewell to uh, this time in Buffalo. Although, as I point out in my story about the oddities of the 2020 season that will be in our yearbook which prints next week one of my favorite things is that davy garcia's first major league win came on a minor league mound so if, if nothing else buffalo did provide some very weird pieces of uh minutia that we'll always remember the 2020 season by yeah they got to have their little celebration there this week where they kept their masks on in a hotel lobby and clinked champagne glasses and probably the most civilized, demure um, champagne celebration that you'll ever see the Yankees have. No goggles necessary for that one. And so, you know, just chalk that up to 2020, the fact that the Yankees clinched a playoff spot in a hotel lobby in Buffalo, New York. Of all the things in my job, you know, that's probably what I get asked about the most is, oh man, have you ever been in one of those like clubhouses when there's, you know, champagne stuff? And I miss the things that we relied on as part of the fun parts of covering, of doing this job and the memories that we made along the way. And it just, it's different when you're, I know that you're keeping score and putting your scorecard on uh, Instagram every night, but I also know that a lot of the time, as as in last night, you're doing it from your house and not from the press box. Yeah, we'll get back to those days at some point. But, you know, it's funny, every time we get to one of these points, and, you know, there were a couple sour pusses on Twitter who said, good, I'm glad they're not celebrating. You know, the Yankees shouldn't celebrate until they win the World Series. And I say baloney. I mean, Joe Torre always used to say that it's important you celebrate every step of the way. And, and Joe Girardi said the same thing, and Aaron Boone subscribes to that too. It is an accomplishment, whether it's a 60-game regular season or a 162. The fact that you're in the dance, you've made it 
to your first objective. It doesn't mean you have to have the biggest blowout party of all time, but you should cut loose and celebrate a little bit. I couldn't possibly agree with you more. I mean, the fact of the matter is I think the only way you can get through 162 games of regular season is if you find joy and excitement in those guideposts along the way. And if you can't do that, then what are you doing? I mean, it's just, I, I say celebrate everything. I say celebrate, uh, th- flip your bat on a big home run, take a curtain call, do whatever you want to do. But part of athletic accomplishment is adulation and is celebration. And if you're giving that up because you think you're better than it, or, or, or rather if you're not giving it up, but if you're telling other people to give that up because you think they should feel better than that, then why are you watching sports? I mean, this this isn't a political debate. This is sports. It's fun. Obviously, you come on the Yankees Magazine podcast, you expect to be held to account for a statement that you know we're going to throw back at you months later. Game out the 20, uh, 20 postseason for me, if you will. Who, who do you see left standing when this is all said and done? Wow. Well, you know, since you had me on the podcast, I think it's February or March before, you know, in the before times, and I picked the Yankees <laughs> to win the World Series, then I got to stick by that because I can't switch it up now. I mean, uh, no, I, I thought that on paper, the Yankees had the best team in the American League. I thought that it was going to wind up being Yankees Dodgers in the postseason. And, you know, this was going to be the year the Yankees finally got past the Astros and were able to kind of get to the next level. And clearly this is not the path that any of us would have anticipated back in the day. But I, I think you're seeing glimpses and flashes of it now. I mean, they during that 10-game winning streak, uh, you know, that, that to me looked like a team that was ready to go into October and win the World Series. And um, I, I think, look, like I said, if it doesn't happen, I, I think we're all kind of on board with the randomness and just the strangeness of 2020. But if you're asking me to, to kind of look at a roster on paper and say this is a World Series championship winning team, I think the Yankees have all the building blocks right now of a team that can go all the way. So, um, you know, what kind of podcast guest would I be if I went back on what I said back in February and March? So, yeah, the, the, I, I expect the Yankees to still be the last team standing. Brian, our, our listeners have always respected you for your honesty and your commitment to all of us and, and, and to being who you are. So uh, I tell you with immense amounts of gratitude, just uh, thank, thank you for uh, sticking with it. We appreciate it. Look, I think I think the fact is, Everything that we're talking about with the randomness here, everything of the difficulties that the Yankees are going to face, the Dodgers are going to face too. The Rays are going to face too. The A's are going to face too. I just, you know, if this, if, if if the Reds win the World Series this year, I think that we all say like, yeah, that sounds about right. At least we know Trevor Barrow would have some really cool shoes if that happened. There, there it is. That's something to look forward to. Well, I, I will tell you, we're in the midst of the Jewish holidays right now, and we close out uh, Yom Kippur every year by saying next year in Jerusalem. So let me say for you, you know, next year back at a Marriott, or at the very least next year in a press box. Uh, you know, we'll, we'll get there. We'll, we'll get there together, Brian. Uh, remember room service? Remember, like, getting hotel points and stuff and airline miles? Uh, <laughs> Ooh, an upgrade. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man, I miss that stuff. Well, Brian Hoke, thank you so much for joining us, as always. I can't wait to read your stuff all October long over at MLB.com. And just to follow along with you as you take us through what will be, by every indication, a very, very strange postseason. Thank you, John. And for everyone else, thanks for listening to another episode of the Yankees Magazine Podcast. Before you go, I want to tell you more about the Yankees Magazine Podcast Network. If you liked hearing from us today, you should also check out Deep to Left with Bucky Dent, our newest podcast that Bucky hosts. 
Each episode features conversations with former teammates and other greats from the game's history, and we're talking Yankees baseball, and of course, this week we are celebrating the anniversary of the famous home run, so make sure you check out the next episode, which is going to have an incredibly special guest. If you're not subscribed, what are you waiting for? We're available wherever you listen to your podcast or at yankees.com slash podcast. Leave us a review, leave us a rating, you can even send us your thoughts over email, podcast at yankees.com. And for my Yankees Magazine subscribers, we have a special gift coming your way soon, which is the 2020 Yankees yearbook, which we finally have been able to print now that we know that there has been a 2020 Yankees season. If you'd like to subscribe now, you can call 800-GO-YANKS, or you can go to yankees.com slash publications for more information. This is a great time to start a new subscription, buy a back issue, renew a subscription, maybe even gift someone who's a huge fan. And if you'd like to see our content online, get a taste of it at yankees.com slash magazine. There you'll find our latest features to read from the magazine, and we're also on Twitter, at Yanks Magazine. Give us a follow and be up to date with every podcast and magazine we produce. That's it. See you next time, and go Yanks! Hey, this is Giancarlo Stan. If you like what you're hearing, why don't you rate and review us? And while you're at it, tell your friends to subscribe. Thanks so much, and go Yankees! The MLB Ballpark app will complete your next visit to Yankee Stadium. Buy and manage game tickets, redeem special check-in offers, access exclusive content, and much more. Download the MLB Ballpark app today. Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story, and one of the best stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons of the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data from Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware. Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based championship team.